My name is Brie Castellini. I used to be a spy. My name is Chris Cherry. I used to be sorry. And this is Burn Noticed, a weekly rewatch of the USA television masterpiece Burn Notice about Michael Weston, a spy. Throughout this podcast, we will be rating each episode on whether it is an episode of television, a great episode of television, or a great episode of Burn Notice. If you want to know what complicated calculations go into these ratings, listen to our intro episode or wait until the end where we'll go through them again. Also, if you or anyone you know knows Jeffrey Donovan, please get in touch. You can send us questions, suggestions, compliments, and absolutely no criticism of any kind to burnnoticepodcast at gmail.com or to our Twitter at burnnoticedpod. That's burnnoticed with a D. So this episode that we're talking about this week, uh, nearing the end of season three, I can't believe it. It feels like we just started. Feels to me like we've been doing it forever. But also it feels like immediately and forever because time has lost all meaning. Yeah, I guess we, yeah, maybe before we start talking about the episode, we we do one of our, our new weekly quarantine quick check-ins. How, how is your quarantine? How do you know how, like, have you been keeping track of like days, how long you've been quarantining um i know when i started but i don't have that date i'd have to go find the text from my work where they said we're closing and be like it's been that long i was also i was looking through the calendar to see when we started recording this season and i'm pretty sure we started recording this season on march 6th yeah which means uh for me that was about a week before quarantine started for me, maybe a week and a half. I think my quarantine started around the 17th or 18th of March. That so we had, sounds we had, like We, we recorded like three or four episodes ahead of time. And then from then on, we were both in quarantine and we have been in quarantine for the rest of the season. So it's been certainly an interesting record, time to be recording. It really is. It's a nice time capsule. And I have a feeling my work is going to be behaving as though we are on stay-at-home orders for far longer because, like, so I was already a remote worker. My my office is based in L.A. and I am based in New York. You build and remotes, right? I do. I build remotes remotely. Uh, we're a very on-brand company. It's very important to us, brand recognition, et cetera. But I used to travel a lot for work, so I don't think that that's going to be restarting because I was traveling to a lot of specifically film schools and film festivals, and neither of those things are coming back anytime soon. So I have a feeling my I'm going to continue to work as though I am in quarantine, even as restrictions are lifted. But I have a suspicion, and I am sure you probably feel similarly, that this is not going to be the last time we all have to quarantine. I think that oh. we're going to have peaks and valleys until there is some kind of vaccine and until we have a different president who can actually manage to get that vaccine to everyone. I definitely agree. I don't think that... For like, if Trump wins again, it's four more years of not having a vaccine, or there might be a vaccine, but being able to get the vaccine to enough people where it actively combats the virus and like keeps everyone safe, I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, no, just the logistics of it. Exactly. I I just don't have any trust in that system. Hey, everyone, vote in November. Please do. Yes, this is coming out in hope June or July. I don't. Yeah, I think this episode's coming out in July. Uh, so it's July now when you're listening to this. Please vote. And I don't really care what you do at the local level, but please, God, <laughs> vote for a Democrat for president. And I know none of us want Joe Biden. None of us ever wanted Joe Biden. No. But 
please just vote for him. Just do us this one solid. So this is season three, episode 13. It's called Enemies Closer, which aired February 11th, 2010, and was written by a solo Jason Tracy and directed by Kevin Bray. This is his first Burn Notice episode, but he goes on to direct two other ones, um, I think probably next season, because they seem to be all around the same year, uh, and then did some white collar and suits, so kind of bounced around the USA Network, a handful of various Shonda Rhimes shows, and then more recently, Dear White People, Blackish, and Insecure. So kind of, uh, he has 99 directing credits, like different projects that he has directed. And then, you know, individually, like on particular shows, he's got even more. Um, and it seems like he's really moving up in the world as yeah, he goes. So kudos to him. Dear White People is a fucking gorgeous show. Like that's, that's like an auteur show. So yeah. if you're directing uh, Dear White People, like... That fucking means something. So good for this dude. And I have to say, I did enjoy the directing in this episode. There's a couple of the screenshots that I took were like very cinematic, like the Larry reveal uh, where he's like up in the second story and Michael's holding oh, a gun yeah. at him. It's very, it's a very nice shot. I, it'll be on Twitter. You guys will see it on Twitter. But yeah, yeah I thought that this was a a well directed episode. Um, I didn't really know the notice the directing, about? but like. In Burn Notice, that's good. It's also been a while since I watched this. That's true. It's been like two weeks for you. I watched it yesterday. Uh, there was a miscommunication about uh, when recording was happening. Yes, audience. It was my fault. <laughs> it's always your fault. You don't listen. I you don't. You just don't listen to me. Technically, I didn't read. That's fair. Chris, can I please tell you what IMDb says this episode is about? That's always a trusted source. Go ahead. <laughs> Michael's old spy partner, Larry, is back and gets Michael in trouble with a cartel. Meanwhile, Michael needs Sam's help for Gilroy's latest black op assignment, and Nate is back in town with a wife and a proposition for Madeline. Ooh. That's Ooh. right. All of this happens in this episode. This it's is a busy well, the, the, episode. The, this week this week is busy and next week's episode is busy as well. These are like chock full these are these are late season episodes <laughs> by far. But um I'm just gonna say it right now, I thoroughly enjoyed this episode. This is one of my favorite episodes in a while for this season. Possibly one of my like top three of the season. So uh, Ooh, let's, I, let's jump into it. I don't remember having that strong a reaction to it, um, but it was good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really liked it. So let's, uh, let's jump on into the weeds and see if I can bring you around to my level of excitement. All right. So the first thing this episode shows us is boobs right in center frame. And then we just do a bunch of cuts to more boobs and more boobs and more boobs. And at first, I'm a little bit nervous. I'm like, God, is it going to be this kind of episode? An auteur director. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. Listen, it's still a burn notice episode, Chris. We can only we can only ask for so much. Michael is heading to meet up with Gilroy in a hot tub and we're treated to the exact same spy tip we get every five episodes or so that if you don't want someone to wear a wire, meet them in a pool or a jacuzzi or for a massage or anywhere they have to be naked, thus ensuring that we get to see Michael Weston semi-naked. We get it, burn notice. (laughs) That's where you do meetings. You don't need to give us the same fucking spy tip every five episodes. We have... We have memories. We we are not goldfish. This is not a show for goldfish. Please get some know. new I material. I think it might be a show for goldfish. <sighs> Side <Hello> note. Fans. <laughs> Side note question for you, Chris. Is a jacuzzi different from a hot tub? I believe, and I am not sure, and back when we had people who were answering questions, um, they could have <laughs> said this for sure. I know, uh, that was that the first jacuzzi, thought that I had. <laughs> Is a name brand. 
Ooh, interesting. I'm quite, I'm not 100% sure on that, but I think Jacuzzi is a name brand for a kind of hot tub. Jacuzzi is the name of one of the first and foremost portable spa manufacturers. Like Xerox, the brand name has been used to refer to the entire category of products. Damn. Yeah. How you know that? You live some some fancy life where you're always in fucking jacuzzis? I could probably count on one or two hands the amount of times I have been in a hot tub. I can count on one hand because it's been less than five. No, it would have been funnier if I'd made a joke where I would say, I can count on less than one hand because it's less than seven. That would have been a funnier <laughs> joke. That would have been a funnier joke. Here, let's Damn it. pretend like you said it the first time. All right. No, that's no, no, too no, no, no. Let's go through. We're going to do it again. I'm going to do it again. Uh, <laughs> I can count on two hands the amount of times that I've been in a hot tub in my life. Yeah, I can count on one because it's less than five. Fuck! <laughs> All right, you only get two takes. We're moving on. <laughs> Michael gets into the hot tub slash jacuzzi with Gilroy. Very close together, almost like cuddling, uh, not five feet apart, and asks if he's because being punished. Because Gilroy is gay. <laughs> yeah, it's unclear, but in Burn Notice, that means gay, I guess. No, they are they super lean into the no homo with Gilroy. Like it is well, the so bit here's the thing. they're doing with him. But I don't think that there it's a no homo bit. Here's the thing. Michael Weston plays into it. Like Michael Weston doesn't like there's there's a slight moment in the scene where Gilroy calls him cute and he like slightly moves away, maybe, but it might have been in a different moment. Like he might have been scooted away at a different moment. But like for the most part, Michael Weston does not seem uncomfortable around him. I like, mean for the flirting stuff. Like Michael Weston does. just kinda lets it happen. But not to the extent that he had, like, th- like think back to the pilot. There were, like, four moments in the pilot where, like, I mean, know, yes, somebody mentions naked wrestling and Michael Weston gets very upset. Than the pilot. But, yeah. Gilroy full-on flirts with Michael in this scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in this scene, he literally says, uh, here, I'll, I'll, I'll get, tell it when it gets to it. But, yeah, he's, yeah, he's full-on flirting. Uh, and they're both like in their bathing suits in a hot tub. Um, Michael asks if he's being punished because apparently the hot tub is extremely hot and I'm not 100% sure what Michael is expecting. Maybe it's just that it's hot in Miami and now he's getting into an even hotter pool. And so it's like not as pleasant of an experience or something. I'm not sure. But Michael seems very uncomfortable in the hot tub. Maybe Michael is only familiar with the term jacuzzi and isn't aware that heat is involved. (laughs) Gilroy's a little miffed that his new boyfriend failed to get the file he wanted um, back with Claude and considered killing him for it. Michael interrupts at this point to say that, no, 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 I didn't fail. The plan failed. And Gilroy says, you're cute, but don't interrupt, which is kind of hot. If these two got spicy, I wouldn't hate it. Honestly, like this is I want Gilroy to be like a model for the female villains on this show, because so often like the female villains on the show just sort of like are assumed to be in love with Michael and the actual like chemistry is nothing. But I feel like Gilroy and Michael Weston have actual chemistry and it's not like all forlorn looks. It's like Gilroy just sort of casually being like, you're extremely attractive. I'm going to kill you. And I think that's a much more interesting energy to bring to like a villain hero relationship. Oh no. Yeah. Um, It's fun. No, let it have a a killing Eve energy. Yes, exactly. Man, this poor show. All we want to do is compare it to better shows. 
Uh, anyways, so now, now what Gilroy wants is six weeks worth of flight plans from like a private airfield or something. Michael tries to resist because apparently flight plan cases are dangerous to pull off, but Gilroy doesn't budge. He just asks, uh, so Michael just asks for double his usual fee. So back at the loft, Sam and Michael discuss how hard it is to figure out what Gilroy's whole deal is while also not helping him enact chaos to get closer to him. Michael also reveals that his plans for getting said flight data is is the Coast Guard because a lot of old Navy SEALs work for the Coast Guard and Sam could totes get hired and get this stuff in a jiffy. Uh, Sam does not like this idea at all. He does not like the idea of using his Navy SEAL buddies to do something illegal. Um, but they can't really dwell on this for long because when they get to Michael's door, they realize that someone broke in with a blowtorch and upon entry, there's a guy dead on the loft floor with a gun next to him. And then a voice from above. It's Larry Sizemore, undead spy and handsome devil. At this point, we should just acknowledge really quickly, because you mentioned a model for female villains. But once again, this should have been Lucy Lawless there. It's out there. We can move on now. Yes. But it should Exactly. Been. No. It absolutely should have been. And honestly, this episode would have played out even more interestingly, and I would have loved it even more if the exact, literally the exact same thing had happened, but it had just been Lucy Lawless doing, like, the tempting you know what I realized Anyways. just now? Because I finally remembered what this episode is about. <laughs> is I feel like we're going to have the reverse argument of the one that we had that one time where I liked the episode and you didn't. I just I just edited that um, that episode. It, our argument goes on for a long time, but I didn't want to cut it off because like any yeah. kind of editing of it would have felt like Weird, it yeah. helped one of us more than the other. So I'm like, I'm just going to kind of leave this all in and we'll just see what happens. Probably we'll what only happens. Joe will listen to that. Yeah. But all right, but, let's, that's interesting. Let's, let's get into this. Cause I hope not. Cause I really do like this episode. Um, and that's rare for episodes that I recap. Yeah, no. So, I noticed. so, uh, title card after the title card, the boys all stuff. This would be assassin. Uh, the guy that's dead into a couch in Michael's loft. That boy cannot hold on to furniture because they're always either getting ripped up by FBI people or <laughs> stuffing dead bodies into them. Damn. Um, so they're, they're stuffing this guy in a couch and Larry reveals that uh, the assassin was sent by the cash man or the cash guy, the, the guy that deals with the cash uh, of a local cartel who wants... Uh, sure. Who wants Michael dead? A man named Carlos, who Larry, as Michael, stole two million smackers from uh, because of Michael Weston's badass reputation. Uh, so essentially, Larry has pretended to be Michael and did some nonsense and stole a bunch of money from a drug cartel. And the one guy who knows Michael's name, Carlos, is out to get him. Uh, so that's why the assassin was sent to Michael's actual place of business. So Larry's like, let's just murder the one dude who knows your name, Carlos. And then Michael, let's just get you a new identity and go live forever in the woods or something. Or probably a, a European country where we can or do havoc and whatnot. The episode never uh, states this. But I kind of assume that Larry did this all in on purpose. Yeah, I have a feeling that that, yeah, I don't, I, it seemed like it was pretty obvious that he did because like his pitch was so ready and at every layer he's like, 
trying so hard to get Michael to come with him. It does definitely like he wouldn't have, he didn't need to come back to Miami to do this scam. He absolutely did not. He could have done this style of scam Michael's anywhere. Name. Yeah. Like exactly. This is like specifically recruitment. He's trying mm-hmm. to burn Michael again. Yeah, exactly. Basically. He's trying to burn Michael Weston in his real life so that he'll have to become somebody else. Um, so Michael's like, that sounds like that sucks. Uh, and Larry does some other creepy bad guy shit and like talks about like all the bad stuff that he's done recently. And then he leaves them with his card slash his new identity, which is Larry something or other. He like killed a guy and took his identity um, from like New Jersey or something. Uh, and then as he exits, Sam looks at Michael and says, that guy sucks with this perfect comic timing. And it was so simple, but like, yeah, Sam, he sure does. He does I don't know. Suck. I just like, that moment was just really funny where it was like this very dark, like I really enjoyed this scene because it was very dark and Larry is just like spitting out all sorts of just casual, horrible shit that he's done recently. A lot of it in Michael's name and Michael's just sort of seething and Bruce Campbell's just sort of like in the background. And then finally he leaves and Sam, all Sam has to say is that guy sucks. <laughs> Cause what else are you going to say at that point? Yeah, It's a good scene. It really kind of, I think gets into my reason why I don't quite like this episode as much as you do, which is, is I don't like Larry. I usually don't, but this is the first episode that I thought I, it made sense to me the way that it built. Well, there's, there's a couple moments where I'm like, would that have happened? So we'll get there. I I I feel like a lot of this feels very forced. I, this was the first episode with Larry in it that I didn't feel forced in. Like I, I feel like there's only been one other episode with Larry in it. There was there really only the one? I feel like we see him all the time. I don't know. No, Maybe we just that talk was about just him. A... It also might be because he directs, and then we talk about him. That's true, because he does also direct. Anyways, uh, uh, so we cut to Fiona's place, where Fiona is wearing lingerie, but the first person to enter the door is Sam, and then Michael, neither of whom actually looks at her as they enter, and they both just say, like, hey, Fee, hey, Fee. Fiona doesn't really cover up. She's just, like, generally annoyed that Michael had apparently called her and said, uh, asked if he'd come over without mentioning that Sam was coming. Um, and I think that this is this is a very fun runner that they've been doing where like now that fee and michael are together every time michael calls her fee assumes that it's going to be like one thing and it's never that thing so sometimes she assumes it's going to be a date and it's fully not a date and sometimes she is thinks it's going to be work and it's not work but like michael is just a terrible communicator and so fiona just at whatever mood she is in is what she assumes is going to be happening and like every time it she is wrong this poor woman it is very fun he must be he must be incredibly good in bed because I cannot imagine putting up with this kind of nonsense. I also um, can't imagine him being incredibly good in bed. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like he would be very like selfless, you know? I think he'd be very mechanical. Like, but if it was a selfless mechanical, I don't know. Here's what I think. I think <laughs> I think like he's it's very for him, he's very on a job. <laughs> but he does a um, good job, Chris. I'm sure he like I'm sure it's like all technically very skilled. <laughs> like um, but like for him it's almost like doing a job because that's the thing that he likes. Like that's what he feels most proud in is like doing a job well. And so like it's all very technically good, but perhaps <laughs> not particularly f- passionate. Until I see. I don't think Gilroy. that's true. 
<laughs> now he just imagines Gilroy. No, I think that we've seen enough scenes between Michael and Fee that are genuinely cute. Like, I think it would have it was last episode where uh, he invites Fee to a hotel and she's like all mad at him that once again they're doing work and he's like, actually, we're doing work tomorrow. And there's just like this like very playful little back and forth that they do. I don't know. I think he'd be pretty good at it. Listeners, how good do you think Michael Weston is at sex? Please tweet at us in explicit detail. And at Burn Notice yeah, Podcast. Or, yeah, no, at, at Burn this Notice Podcast. Pod. If you want to at uh, Wicked Piss at JD too. <laughs> <laughs> and let him weigh in as well. I mean, if nothing else, I'm sure it's very athletic sex. Oh, it's definitely you know? athletic. <laughs> Anyway, so Fiona's in lingerie. The boys are over. Sam is not phased at all. He's just like, what's up, Fee? Uh, I think he even says, like, it's nothing I haven't seen before because Fee is constantly half naked for jobs. Um, And so they're like, listen, sorry about this, but we have to stash a body somewhere. And I uh, didn't realize, like, why they needed to keep it at first. But then I kind of put it together like, oh, they can't just, like, dump it because they want to see how exposed Michael is. They can't just, like, dump this dead guy until they know that, like, that's the smart move. So they have to stash the body for a while uh, in a way that it won't like get gross and decompose. So Fiona's like, oh, cool. Well, my neighbor's house is going to get fumigated soon. Uh, so nobody's in there right now. We can go stash it at their place. Um, I also so was confused go... about the stashing, but yeah. <laughs> but I, I figured it out in scene. Because yeah, basically what they're doing is like, they don't know how, ex- like Larry has been kind of dodgy about how exposed Michael Weston truly is in this whole situation. And so until they know that, they probably don't want to just like dump this guy in the river in case they need him for something, which it turns out they do. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the body stowing scene, which isn't very, it's just like they're stowing a body in a bathtub and Michael Weston has a whole spy tip about it, which we'll get to. But the only thing I want to talk about here is that Fiona is wearing like a white t-shirt with handwritten text on it that says wanted a decent job, which feels like a statement attached to absolutely nothing. And it's the only scene where she's wearing this shirt. And I want to talk to the wardrobe people behind this show so badly. What the fuck is this t-shirt? That's so Wanted weird. a decent job. And it looks ha- it looks like she took a Sharpie to her shirt and wrote it herself. I don't understand. Is this Gabrielle Anwar? Is she unhappy? <laughs> I don't know. It's so weird. It's weirder than the Michael Weston uh, all tan, shades of tan, like polo shirt and khakis from a couple of weeks ago, which I also hated. This, I don't hate. I'm just so confused by it because they never wear shirts with text on it. But this, she has a shirt with a lot of text on it. Very specific text, but attached to who knows. That almost, that does sound like almost, you know, couture though. Like, you know, like one of those like really high-end fashion designers that does something that's purposefully shitty. Maybe, but it's only in one scene and it's such a specific, like this is a choice. Like, somebody chose to put Gabrielle Anwar in this shirt for this single scene. It's the only scene in the entire episode that she's wearing this shirt for. So why this shirt? Why not just put her on, like, a t-shirt? Just, like, a plain t-shirt? What are they? Wardrobe Wardrobe means something, right? Like, even Michael Weston's terrible wardrobe, like, it means something. The way that, like, when he has a new, um, like, alias, he puts on a whole little thing like he you know you can see the wardrobe changing to be who this person wardrobe means something what what does this mean 
Please someone tell me what this means. Wanted a decent job. So confusing. Anyways, Michael heads over to his mom's house to let her know that she might be uh, in danger. And Fiona reminds him, oh, didn't, don't you mean your mom and Nate? Because Nate's coming into town today. And Michael's like, oh, fuck. So we cut to Madeline's house where uh, Nate is introducing everyone to his new wife, whose name is Ruth. The new wife then does an extremely baffling thing where uh, she says, welcome to the family, new brother, to Michael, as if Michael is the new family member. Like, he's the one being invited into their new family. It was a very confusing phrasing. Eventually, they kind of play on the idea that this woman is kind of annoying. Well, at least to Madeline. Sure. I don't know. I, so I don't know if it's part of that or... But it like it just is a confusing way to say it. Because, like, it she's the weird. new one. Michael is not being welcomed into the family. Michael was the first one in the family. If anything, Nate is new because he's younger. Yeah, what is sure. happening in this? <laughs> it was so confusing. And so she's just like very Maybe she means like, over her the family. Maybe she's considering her and Nate to be like a whole new family unit. And like, like they you are know, now her like the family. family. Like her like parents. And... But she's not saying welcome to the family because her family isn't there. The only con- people contextually in this scene are Michael's family. No, I know. But like maybe she that's just how she is. It was very weird. Maybe I, it, like, maybe she's in the mob. Well, she might be because she was a blackjack dealer, and that's how she and Nate met one month ago. That's uh, true. She dealt him. She dealt him six hands, and then it was over for both of them. So they've been okay, they've also, known each other for a month. They are officially married. Also, I'm not sure because, like, this scene definitely takes place in Madeline's house. It does. But we do not know for sure that Madeline's house is not also an olive garden. (laughs) Sure thing. Um, So, yeah, well, because Nate and Ruth are staying with Madeline. And so Michael is like, Michael takes Nate aside, kind of explains that something is going down, that he needs Nate to keep an eye on their mom, but not, like, tell her anything. And Nate's like oh, that's going to suck, but fine. You have to check in at least. Like, you can't just, like, leave me alone with her exclusively until this job is over. Like, you need to come check in. And Michael's like, fine, have fun with your new wife, you absolute psycho. So Fiona and Sam find out where the cartel guys hang out, and they borrow the video feed from their security camera so they can spy inside. And then Sam heads to scam an old Navy SEAL buddy for Gilroy, and he is still extremely unhappy about it. He's unhappy Uh, about the Sam scam. He is unhappy about the Sam scam. Uh, we don't actually see Sammy get some scammy, but he gets the flight info and yells at Michael about it over the phone. Michael can't find anything on the dead assassin's phone, so he goes over to Fees, where she's watching the security feed that they all just set up while eating popcorn, which I really enjoyed as, like, uh, a setup for a scene. Like, she's just eating popcorn throughout this entire scene as they're watching the security feed and talking about it like she's watching a soap opera. And Michael immediately comes in and sits down and eats some popcorn with her while they both just, like, watch together. So it's like, he's not even like, Fee, what are you doing? You're taking this too casually. He's just like, ooh, popcorn. And so they just eat popcorn and, like, chat about the security feed together, which is very cute. I think maybe um, I didn't watch this episode closely enough. <laughs> I... So when we get to your episode, uh, I'll, it will be, be revealed that neither did I. So I watched your episode twice. I watched it once yesterday and did not absorb it at all. And then I watched it again just before we started recording. Oh, my God. 
literally I watched it twice as I was like, I don't think I know. I fully don't think I know what happened in this episode. Like I didn't even know it well enough to tweet about it because I was going to like schedule all the tweets because you sent me screenshots. And then I was like looking through the screenshots and I'm like, I don't remember this episode at all. Anyway, so Fee is eating popcorn. Michael's eating popcorn with her and kind of asking her, like, what's going on? She's like, well, there, I'm not sure about this new character. He seems like a boss uh, and he keeps yelling at people. Uh, I don't like him so far, <laughs> which is funny. Uh, so basically, Carlos, the guy that um, sent the assassin after Michael, um, who he thinks is Larry, uh, has, like, not heard from his assassin and is like yelling at everyone at the cartel house about it on the video feed. Uh, then he texts Mike, the dead guy's phone, which Michael gets. And, um, the, he's texting the, the dead guy in Spanish. And we learned canonically that Michael can't speak Spanish, which I, I thought it. was a bit, I thought it was a bit. I called us. it as a bit. I was, this was, there's a lot in this episode, <laughs> But, like, this was the wildest thing to me. What? Canonically, this is true. It's so funny. And honestly, it's such a, like, because later in the episode, someone's like, how long have you lived in Miami and yeah, you don't Larry speak says Spanish? It. The thing was, like, in this first scene, I didn't quite, like, it didn't sink in that, like, Michael <laughs> Until the did not time. speak Spanish. Because, like, obviously Michael should be able to speak Spanish. He's a spy and he lives in Miami. But, like, Mm -hmm. and so, like, maybe he, I just thought maybe he was somehow not aware of, like, certain, like, curse words. Mm -hmm. Because, like, yeah, because there's this, like, running, there's this gag that they kind of call back where, like, um. Somebody calls the, the, the bad guy Carlos. Yeah, he calls him a pendejo. And and Fiona's like, oh, it's like idiot, but ruder. (laughs) And then in the next scene, he's talking to someone else uh, who's translating for him. And he goes, ha, they called him a pendejo. It's like idiot, but ruder. Just like the same phrasing. I thought that was very funny. It was very funny. But like, it it took me to that second scene with Larry, because where Michael has difficulty with very basic Spanish words. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like two eres and stuff. Yeah, like Spanish. Like first year Spanish. <laughs> well, it seems like, like Michael shit. was mostly in like I can't imagine Michael Wesson spent much time in Spanish speaking countries because he does not look like someone who would fit in. I think he spent a lot of time in like Poland, Russia, like the Soviet bloc kind of places because he looks more like he fits in there. And he even says he's like, if it was Russian or Polish, I would be able to get it. And everyone's just like, but also Ford. like he lives in my. It's fucking Spanish. Well, he didn't expect to live in Miami. To be fair, but how Michael long has he been living in Miami, Miami now? Like, like what is years. the time it's frame on this? Thinking about, I it think now. that they consider it to be mostly in real time. Like shows like this tend to like be like slightly shorter than real time usually. So it's probably it's been at least two years. Yeah, and like you've been there for two years, Michael. And you never learned Spanish? I mean, if I lived in Miami for two years and I didn't know Spanish, like, that would be one thing. But I'm also not a spy. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. <laughs> we said that in the opening. I'm sorry. We're just disappointed. We're not angry. We're just disappointed. And it's kind of wild. It's But I'm very amazed wild. that that was true. I know. Me too. I couldn't, like, we, I think that started this season, right? That we, we it started, started bit, like, a Michael few episodes Weston. ago. It wasn't that long ago. 
No, it was the beginning of the season because it was the ep- when he gets out of prison. Uh, Harlan God, gets him right. out of prison. You're yeah. right. It was a bit. Also, again, I cannot stress enough how much time has stopped meaning anything. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, truly, time is but nothing. Yeah, Every day is the same. Wild. Honestly, I love this for us. Us specifically, we earned this, Chris. You and I. We did. We've watched so much Burn Notice and talked about Burn Notice so much. We they really needed this for us. Anyways, yes. um, I'm glad we were given this. <laughs> I'm glad this gift we were given. So uh, the the text that he can't read in Spanish when he and Fee are eating popcorn together is that the boss man needs the dead man to finish up killing Michael and then head over to a place called the Hotel Victor for the second target. Fee uh, is eating popcorn the entire scene, just like unladylike shoveling it into her mouth. And I just love it. Like the entire scene, Michael's like learning all this stuff. And it's like, oh, God, there's another victim and like all these things. And Fiona just like, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> So I love her because it's like the only way you can eat popcorn, right? Like it, if you oh, eat yeah. popcorn, one popcorn at a time, you're a psychopath. Oh no. I, I've never met someone who has done that. And like, well, women God, in TV shows often do it. Like women in TV shows tend to do it like one at a time. And I think part of it is just because like eating on camera sucks because it means you're yeah, eating eat so sucks. much, but feel like, like popcorn, really I imagine, goes for it. like the amount of popcorn that you'd have to have in your hand. Like, would be a continuity nightmare. Exactly. Which is why it doesn't matter if he just continues to shove it in her mouth. I don't know. I loved yeah. it. She's just so casual uh, and just having such a good time. Uh, so now Michael goes to meet up with Larry outside of said Hotel Victor. Uh, and Larry reveals that he actually has a second person in on this scam with him who is a children's magician. Uh, and he goes by the name of Jack Fleetwood. It's not his real name. This will come back later. But Jack Fleetwood, child's magician. I am disappointed magician. the fact that he's a magician never comes up again. It, no, it does. It comes up mm, twice. Like in Two a more times it comes up. practical way? Uh, not like practical, but they bring it up a couple of times for like joking aside. I'll, I, I made a note of both of them because I thought it was very funny. I'm just saying that um, he should have done some magic in this episode. He tries and does it badly. Uh, anyways, so yeah, I don't think I you was watched not this episode. Paying attention, closely, I guess. You really weren't, which is too bad because it's a really fun episode. There's like a lot of like this is the I think Craig O'Neill we've given a great episode of television solo before, but I don't think Jason Tracy has gotten a solo great episode of television from us yet. Generally speaking, we like them together or we like Craig, but the only other episode that Jason Tracy has written, um, we were not like particular fans of we thought it was fun but um i yeah. think it was signals and codes actually i think it was the autistic oh yeah one. i'm pretty sure at least uh anyways so um larry is telling him about this and michael gets another text for the dead guy with another pendejo and larry's now translating and helpfully explaining to michael oh it's like idiot but ruder <laughs> um second good hearty laugh for me after the name calling, it's also revealed that the boss man, Carlos, is sending some more goons over to clean things up since he hasn't heard back from the dead guy this whole day. Larry's like, awesome. They're just going to kill him and we're all set. We don't even have to worry about it. And Michael's like, no, remember, I'm good. I can't just let somebody kill a child's musician for because it's easier for me. No, Larry, we have to go save him. And Larry's like, oh, fine. So they burst in on a recently showered Jack who is confused that there are two Michaels and also that he is in danger. Cause like Larry comes in and he's like, Oh, Michael. Uh, and Michael Wesson goes, I'm Michael. And he's like, you're both Michael. Okay. 
which is just like a fun little like moment. Uh, they, Jack Fleetwood is not very bright. They bring up pretty early on uh, and he's taking a, a, a long time to figure out like what's happening. Wait, did you did the thing that you made me do put me in danger? Oh, no. Larry once again I'm sure he's pitches very that good with the children. <laughs> Yes, I'm sure he's great with kids. Uh, Larry once again pitches that they kill people. This time he's like, all right, fine. If we're not going to let them kill Jack, well, we need to kill the goons that are coming down the hallway. And Michael's like, Larry, I'm good. Remember? And Larry's like, oh, sorry, I forgot. I don't kill people. <laughs> That's not what I do. Uh, and Jack is still naked because he just got out of the shower. And he's like, what's happening? Uh, so to escape in uh, a scene that I really enjoyed, uh, Michael tosses a mattress over into the pool below because like just jumping into a shallow pool from several stories up will absolutely destroy you. <laughs> but if you jump onto a mattress, it helps like further soften the blow. So the mattress plus the water gives you a safe landing as long as you actually hit the mattress. So uh, Jack gets dressed, but for some reason doesn't wait because like Michael's like, make sure you hit the the mattress. So Larry jumps first, hits the mattress, is fine. And then Michael and Jack both get over the ledge, like looking down. And Michael's like, just make sure you hit the mattress. But then they jump at the same time. Same so time. it's like how it's so weird. I think maybe it's just because Jack is a dummy. Um, yeah, or, and I, Michael in my didn't notes, I have, say like you jump first. Like, I mean, maybe having an amateur jump off a balcony wasn't a great idea. Well, they didn't really have another option. <laughs> Like, there were goons breaking down the door of the hotel room. Or just, like, give him, giving him some sort of more prep or something. I don't know. Like, or I'm literally just saying, hey, you go first. that this happened. Yeah, right. Like, they should have just taken turns. I'm saying that I would not be able to do this. I feel okay about my chances, given the angles that were present in this scene. Certainly no, not at jumping at the same time. Because, like, they, shouldn't, they should not have jumped at the same time, obviously. And I think what they're trying to do is say, like, Jack is a dummy and didn't wait his turn. But I'm thinking Michael Wesson is a dummy. Let the other guy jump first. You can survive a bullet wound, probably. This guy yes. will not. So, uh, but they jump at the same time. Michael Wesson hits the mattress. Jack hits the floor. Uh, so that, like, snaps his ankle real bad. Uh, and they kind of drag him out of there and uh, take him over to face place. Where they jump, they they hit the mattress, and they're like escaping. And I think Larry just turns because a woman is watching them and goes, "Crazy, huh?" <laughs> See, I'm, this is what I'm saying is I think Larry's kind of fun in this episode, like because he's like so much more brutal and like it's mu a much more direct like back and forth conversation between him and Michael about like what is the right way to deal with this situation I don't know I had fun with him this episode see I think um, I don't know I never quite buy Larry here's part of the problem I think it's bad casting I would have said that last time I didn't I thought he did a good job this time but, like, we're a little more used to it this time. And, like, it's not, like, terrible casting. Like, Tim Matheson's a good actor. It's just, it's, like, he's kind of in the wrong part. Um, like, he does d well with it because he has, he's talented at acting, but he's miscast. And he's good at fast-talking dialogue. Yeah, exactly. So, like, he's, but he's, like, I think fundamentally miscast. 
I don't know if I agree, but I don't care enough to keep talking about it. So no. regardless of how well Larry is cast or not, all three boys head over to Fiona's house, and Fiona once again is infuriated by a surprise boy guest. And it seems like such a vanity character. I mean, at least this time, they're not constantly having other people go, oh, you mean the handsome man? The very handsome man who was in the last scene? But it's still kind of like, hey, I want to play a guy on the show, and I think he's going to be really cool and like morally complex or whatever, and... You know, it's a well, badass I don't spot. think he's morally it's, complex. I think he's just like morally bankrupt and has found no, a he's way morally to be bankrupt, like, fine with like, that. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't mind it this time. Uh, so uh, they're at Fiona's house. I guess Larry left. He's not in this scene, so I guess he's not there anymore. He like went and did something else. Fiona's mad at Michael because she's like, why did you let Larry know where I lived? And Michael's like, come on, Fee. Obviously, he already knows where you live. Like, don't be stupid. Fee's like, that's fair. So Fiona and Michael finally explain to this poor musician what is happening. And then keep, they explain what they're... It, it sounds like you're saying musician. Well, maybe it's just bad phone, phone calling because I'm definitely saying magician with excellent elocution. Tell me about the musician. So, uh, like, the magician has been very confused this whole time. He now has a broken ankle. He just jumped out of a window at a hotel with guys with guns shooting at him. What is happening? So Fiona and Michael finally break it down for him. And then they're like, but don't worry. We've got this. We're going to get you out of, like, trouble. What we're going to do is we're going to set up the dead guy who was supposed to come after both of us. Uh, we're going to set him up for the whole thing. We're going to pretend like he orchestrated this whole plan so you and I aren't actually involved at all. Uh, and then when it, and it takes them a little bit to like explain what the plan is, but then when it finally connects, Jack says, oh, I get it. It's like an illusion. And Michael just like gets up and leaves. He's like, I'm going to kill this man. So that's the first time that it comes back to him being a magician is him finally I understanding. I that vaguely. Yeah, so him finally understanding their plan is him putting it in context of, oh, it's an illusion. <laughs> I thought it was funny. Um, and it, it's so stupid, but it's just like it's just like a little moment, and it's very funny, and I enjoyed it. Um, so now that he knows too much uh, because he knows, like, who all the players are and what's at stake, uh, they've got to help him out. And so 17 minutes into the episode, we finally have a client. And I didn't even realize that it took us this long to get there, but like we get our little lower third and everything, but it, it literally takes like half the episode it for us to identify so someone as a client. Uh, it is. It fully is. I mean, it's a bird notice episode, but like they, they've clearly got, you know, a checklist that they're working off of, but yeah, it's the latest into an episode. I think we've ever been introduced to a client. So then they hire an actor to play the dead guy and make a big scene of a having lots of money in an area that they know at least a handful of cartel guys will like hear and see, but not necessarily know him well enough to identify him past like, yeah, he sort of looks like him. Uh, and then they get that guy out of town so they can start like laying the groundwork for their illusion for setting up the dead guy for like the big deal. Michael then goes and intercepts Carlos in a parking garage. Carlos is the boss guy who's like calling out all the hits uh, to lay out the second part of the trap. So he reveals himself as Michael Weston and tells him that it was all Justino, the dead guy. He's like, I don't, I am not involved in this. I don't know why you keep sending people to kill me, but I looked into it and it's the guy that you sent to kill me. He's actually the bad guy. He's the one that stole all your money. Uh, it's $2 million. I don't think we've mentioned that yet. Uh, Larry stole $2 million from the cartel. Um, 
And he's like, you know how I know this? Because five hours ago, he was spotted at a bar spending all of his money. And uh, Carlos is like, what? Well, this better check out. Otherwise, I'm going to kill you for sure. Kill you. And Michael's like, yeah, check it out. Because, you know, they've already laid this part of the trap. I like this part uh, because there, it's accompanied by a spy tip where it's it says bad guys often, like, are very paranoid. But they're usually paranoid um, for what they know how to do. So it's like liars always think other people are lying. Thieves always think people are stealing from them. And so cartel people, when their car doesn't start, they immediately get out. They don't keep trying it. Like they know like, oh no, it's rigged to blow. Uh, And so uh, that's how Michael gets him out of the car. Like the guy gets into the car, the car doesn't immediately start and he jumps out. Like he's like terrified that it's going to explode on him. And that's when Michael Weston like makes his move to like have his little conversation with this guy and then at the end of the episode he says like trust the wrong guy again or the next time your car doesn't start it won't be a missing spark plug and then he tosses him the spark plug that he stole and it was just like oh a my nice god i should have watched this episode twice i remember <laughs> literally none of this there oh there's also the earlier in the scene when he first like so the guy jumps out of the car and Michael kind of like accosts him and like holds him against the car but the first thing he does is he shoves something in his mouth and it's like a dollar bill um and Michael says that's all of your money that I have I didn't rob you so like Michael has pickpocketed him shoved his own bills into the guy's mouth I think and I must like, have been doing something else or what because like literally none of this I retained none of it. It's like you know a really I, tight you know what scene. I, you know what I, my notes for this scene are? Huh. Man, this episode really loves saying Sicario. <laughs> it does. I, I didn't put that in my notes because I don't care about the word Sicario. But they do say Sicario a lot. They say a lot. This episode is very, like, enamored of Spanish. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's they're, they're rubbing it in that Michael Weston can't speak Spanish, which makes me adore it even more. But yeah, no, this scene is like a, for being in like an exposition trap laying scene, I really liked it because every single element kind of was blended in together. Like the way that he gets the guy out of the car, the way that the scene ends, the way that he like explains to him, no, I didn't take your money. Like it's all just like very well laid. Um, in, in some ways, I feel like the exposition in this episode is a lot, even though this is a very chunky episode, is a lot better than next episode. Like next episode, there's a lot of scenes where somebody is just saying, Fee, you know, I can't do this because things that happened in last episode, you know, like there's a lot of, it's a lot more ham fisted next episode, but this episode, I felt like a lot of the exposition was really expertly woven in with some spy tips and some like fun turns of phrase. I really liked it. So yeah, you should, you should rewatch this episode, Chris. I would recommend this as an episode of television to watch to somebody. Uh, It was very fun. So anyways, Michael now, uh, having laid all these traps and put the pieces together that like the dead guy is definitely the one orchestrating everything. Michael heads back over to check on his family. And first, when he sees Nate and his mom arguing, he tries to sneak out. Uh, they're arguing because Nate wants Madeline to move to Las Vegas with them to be closer to him and his new wife. But then Nate changes tactics in the argument to say that she'd be safer from all the spy stuff. And then Michael stops leaving and like stays to watch the rest of the argument. And I assumed that what he was noticing was that Nate had apparently outed him as a spy to his new wife. But apparently he's just like, well, now I'm curious where this argument's going. So, cause the, the spy thing does not come up. I guess it's just no. fine that everyone knows Michael Weston is a spy. He's used his real name. Everyone knows it's him. So who gives a shit if Ruth Weston knows? 
Um, so no one really notices him, even though he's like five feet away from them as they're having this argument. Uh, Madeline is very upset that they're like trying to tell her what to do. Like she's not just some old woman that they can put in the home. And Nate's like, no, 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 we're not going to put you in a home. But like you would be objectively safer if you go there. And then Madeline goes to like light a cigarette because she's Madeline. And that's what she does when she's stressed out. And Ruth goes, are you going to smoke that inside? Uh, once again, telling Madeline what to do. And Madeline just like rolls her eyes and storms out. <laughs> So this is the first time that, like, not only is the existence of Ruth kind of annoying, but Ruth specifically is now annoying Madeline. Uh, so M Michael kind of walks in and is like, you want mom to move to Las Vegas? And Nate's like, listen, Michael, please help me convince her. It's so dangerous here. You're literally having me harass her, like, and stay around her house more than I would have otherwise wanted to because it is my honeymoon because she's literally in danger you have to agree, probably Miami is no good for her anymore. And Michael's like, well, maybe I'll try to talk to her in a couple of days when she cools down. And Nate's like, fine. So cut to Fiona's place where Jack the Magician is trying to do a card trick with Sam. Uh, he's like sitting on the couch trying to um, show like Sam his card. And each time it's not the right card. And Sam's just sort of like barely paying attention, like doing something on the computer. And then he'll look over and he says, no, it's still not my card. <laughs> and it's just like throughout the scene, poor Jack keeps trying to like pick the right card uh, and it does not happen. So this is the second time that the magician thing has come up. I make a note here that there's a lot of good scene level runners in this app. Uh, we also learn that uh, I think and either every this single scene or one this of them I missed. Apparently, it's too bad. It's very fun. Um, th th I'll mention this now because it will become relevant in a second. Uh, either in this early scene or just beforehand, uh, Jack had asked if he could recuperate on Fiona's bed instead of just on like a chair or a couch. And Fiona's like, my blankets are like really nice. You are not sitting on them. You just got out of a nasty hotel pool. Fuck you. You sit on the couch. This is important. I swear it comes up in a second. Um, so Sam has been doing a lot of research about why Gilroy wants all those flight details so badly. And once again, reminds Michael that the reason he's so upset about like giving Gilroy all of this flight information is that, uh, Chuck Finley didn't get those logs. Sam Axe did. They can't just give all of them to Gilroy because they're way too dangerous. Even if Gilroy himself doesn't end up using all of the flight data, because clearly he's looking for like a particular flight or series of flights, he might sell them to someone else who could like really hurt people. And Sam's like, not only am I not going to let that happen just because like all of those people could be in danger, but my personal ass is on the line for this as well as my friends. So I'm not just going to let you give all of this to Gilroy, no matter how important you think it is that we get to the bottom of what he's doing. Um, and so they're, they're kind of arguing about this. Then they hear a sound outside and kind of snap into gear, like, you know, holding their guns at the door. And while the episode is paused for me to take notes, I'm going to assume it's Larry. Let's find out together. It is. So, so as I was, I, I paused right before they like found out who had made the noise outside um, to take like notes on this scene. And I was like, wonder who the sound is. Bet it's Larry. And it is. So high five me. I just gave myself a high five because well I'm really proud of you myself. Did. Uh, so Larry is ecstatic that the setup of the dead guy plan is working. He shows the boys the security camera, the one that Fee had been eating popcorn to earlier in the episode. And as Sam and Michael enjoy the fruits of their labor, like clearly the cartel guys are pretty upset and it seems like things are working out. Um, Larry kind of slips away and I didn't even notice it. Like Sam and Michael are just sort of like, you know, making merry and having, having good time. And all of a sudden they hear some sounds of like a struggle and they turn around and Larry and Jack are not there 
there anymore. They're in a different room. So they run into Fiona's bedroom and find um, poor Jack with duct tape around his mouth and a knife to his throat with Larry behind him. And Larry's like, we won, you guys, it's working. But this guy knows too much. We got to kill him, throw him and just, you know, to Carlos. And then like, it's all going to be fine. Like, we have to do this, you know, stop trying to play the good guy. And Michael's like, I'm good, Larry. Come on. I'm good. I don't know how many times I have to tell you that I am a good guy. Yeah, I don't know then, what, like, Larry is thinking here. I think Larry's like, we've we've limited the number of people who will die to this one guy. But we do have to kill this one guy because he knows too much. And I can't just let somebody who knows me and my business just wander around the world. Um, and Michael's like, no, stop trying to kill people, Larry. We can do this without killing people, I promise you. Uh, and he, like, points the gun at Larry. Um, and this is the second time this episode that Michael has pointed a gun at Larry. The third time in the show, because if you'll remember the first episode that Larry was in, yeah. Michael had him in, like, a sniper rifle, but uh, decided not to kill him for, A, because they have history, and B, because he probably would have, like accidentally killed the guy that he was grappling yeah. with that time too. Uh, and then earlier in this episode, Michael pulls a gun on him like right after they stuffed the dead guy in the couch, uh, but doesn't pull the trigger again because Michael Weston's not just going to like shoot a guy. Even though Sam was like, there's room for two bodies in this couch, Michael. <laughs> um, so this is the third time he's held a gun at him. And Larry's like, listen, this is the third time you've held the gun at me. You're not going to shoot me. And Michael's like, mm, fuck you. And he shoots him in the hand to like get rid of the knife. Sam grabs uh what's his name, Jack, and like gets him to safety. And Larry's like, what the fuck? And then Larry wraps his hand in Fiona's really nice bedding that she had talked about earlier in the episode and like gets her like pristine white bedding, all bloody and nasty. And he's very upset, very high tension, very excellent. I, I enjoyed this encounter a lot because it was like, there's, there's not a lot of times in Burn Notice for such a high octane show where like people are yelling at each other and I feel like it's motivated. But in this case, like they're just like, the tension went so high so fast and they're all like yelling at each other and then their gun goes off and like, you know, it's this whole thing and poor Fiona's bed sheets are now ruined. And um, I don't know. I enjoyed it. See, I don't know. Felt it didn't very... play for me at all. I thought it was fine. I thought like, but again, I just don't, I don't buy Larry. Yeah. Like, that, I mean, if you don't buy Larry, a lot of this, it gets harder. And I just do not at all. Like, and so it's just, and it's kind of like this whole episode and like the last episode hinges on the idea that Michael could be like Larry and that like, or at least come around to his way of thinking, come around to his way of thinking or like that kind of stuff. And like the show is never good at that. Like, yeah, I don't no, think you're right. And, I think this is the best exploration. Well, no, this is the second best exploration. I think the best exploration of Michael Weston's gray areas is um, the episode where Madeline befriends an asset and yes. Madeline has to like watch the gray that areas of works. his work. That worked really well. I think this yeah, is but the like, second that's the thing. best like one just because it's a better episode and like at the towards the end, they do some interesting things with it. Um, because, but it also like it works because like he forces Madeline to do an awful thing that's more in line with the kind of things that Michael already does. Right. And like, and the thing is like, it all sort of relies on like the idea that we know that Larry and Michael have a history and they work together, but I don't care about Larry. And like, I don't like their history is just like a lot of hearsay and I don't feel it. And like, Michael doesn't, like Larry 
And it's not like, and Michael, like every scene, like Michael is like, we're not doing things your way. Like, again, he keeps being like, I'm good. There's never a moment where he's like, Larry's right. So here's here's my thing. What I think that they're trying to do with Larry is that he and Michael aren't so different. They're definitely different, but the difference between them, like the main difference that this episode seems to be exploring is that Larry just wants to take the easy way out. And usually the easy way out is just killing someone and piling them on the, you know, pyre. Like Michael Weston leaves himself very vulnerable because he always has to like bend out, bend over backwards to like keep everyone alive and like do it the non-lethal way. And like Larry's like, the reason that Larry is not as good of a spy as Michael is because he's just, he just leaves a trail of bodies. He's like, I'll just kill everyone. And so even at this stage of the, the episode, he's like, all right, Michael, we did it your way. It's working great. But the easiest final thing that we could do is just kill this dude too. Let's just kill him. Let's just get it over with. And so like every single time Larry brings it up, it's not even like be more lethal, although he's definitely trying to tempt Michael to be more lethal, but he's also trying to tempt him to be like, it's going to be so much easier if we do it my way. Your life gets easier if you just leave a little bit of your morals at the door more each time. Um, And I think that that's more his active pitch to Michael is not, you should kill this man, but you should do the easy way out because aren't you tired? Isn't it tiring to do it this way? We would have so much fun and it would be so much easier if you did it my way. But the thing is that like, especially since again, getting ahead of this, like the episode tries to do this thing where Fee and Sam may have abandoned Michael and like Sam's reason kind of makes sense, but it's also completely unrelated to the Larry thing. It would be one thing if those were, like, more tightly connected and, like, Fee's thing doesn't work at all. Yeah, well, the Fee thing doesn't make any sense, and we'll get to that. <laughs> we, but, like, we'll, and let, the thing let, is that, like... Let's get to that. And, but we'll get to that. But, like, my point is that because of this, like... Because they did this last time, too, with Larry, where it's, like, oh, he's trying to seduce Michael into being bad. And, like, doing things his way and, like, whatever. But I just never feel like that's an option for Michael. I think that what this episode is relying on is the fact that Michael's stressed out and, like, kind of taking it from all sides from so many other parts of his life. The problem is Larry would have no way of knowing that. And I think that's where you're having the most trouble is that, like, the Larry thing is exacerbating everything else, but Larry doesn't know that it is. And so the fact that Larry is like keeping his party line of like, let's just kill everyone doesn't seem to make sense based on the information that we know him to know about Michael. But in this episode, like Michael's fighting with his family, he's fighting with his brother and his new wife, his mom, and maybe moving to like Las Vegas. He's fighting with like, uh, fee about constantly bringing men over to her house that are not him. Uh, he's fighting with Sam about the like flight logs and stuff. He's like under a lot of pressure with Gilroy because Gilroy is increasingly asking him like worse and worse things to do uh, before Michael can get any more information. So like Michael's under a lot of stress and like him trying to be a good guy is definitely making his life and the lives of the people around him harder. But I don't think that Larry knows that. So it is, I I will concede, it is hard to justify Larry as a character given that we, that Larry doesn't know any of that. Larry is like taking advantage of the situation, but I don't, but yeah, that's fair. Anything like about, nothing about Larry works for me. More about Larry works for me than works for you, but I'm not saying that you're wrong about a lot of your, (laughs) I I agree with a lot of your assessment. Michael is never going to make 
the most lethal choice. And he, and he's never going to make the easiest choice. But he might make the most callous choice if he feels like he needs to. And, like, that's mm-hmm. why the Madeline episode works. Yes. No, I 100% agree. And, like, the thing, and any sort of... Because it's collateral damage, but it's just, like, psychological collateral damage. And yeah. in the grand scheme of things and, and what he has seen, it's not the worst he could do. And, like, the worst... I feel like Michael's worst tendency... Like, Michael tends to behave worse... Not out of stress, but out of obsession and single-mindedness. Mm-hmm. And so that's how you that's how you sort of move Michael morally. And is, like yeah, but, and so Larry is like and the fact that he did stuff with Larry in the past, like, I don't care. Like it would be one thing if, like, we saw that, maybe, or just had specifics. Yeah, or... if we knew, like, specifically what he and Larry had gotten up to in their three years together, like, that would mean more. Like, if, if Michael had, like, a dark past where, like, there are things he genuinely feels bad about, and not just Larry is coming back, but also the memories of, like, the dark yeah. shit he did in, like, the name of finishing a mission. Exactly. That would definitely be more interesting. But, yeah, you're right. Or, we again, if he just, All like, right. liked Larry... Even. Yeah. If he just like liked like, Larry. Oh, not that bad. If like, yeah, like he like, if he had like, if the stuff was bad, but he kind of liked Larry himself. Like, and if he this thought is yet another Larry reason was... why it should be Lucy Lawless, because it would be much yes. easier to buy that he just likes her because she's like, hey, he's, she's a woman making her way in the world. Yeah, exactly. No, this is why it should be Lucy Lawless. But like. Yes. OK. So, OK, Chris, you've convinced me. We've got to move on. <laughs> Before we move on, I do want to point something out real quick. I was not paying a ton of attention to this episode, as it turns out. But I wasn't paying attention to one thing. What's that? Where early in this scene, Larry shows them the, like, the footage. And he goes, there you go. Something like, the best thing on at 10 p.m. in a long time. And I spent a lot of time paused. I figured Trying to confirm that, yes, that is, in fact, when Burn Notice aired. I just made that assumption because, like, they've kind of done things like that before. And that's a very USA television show thing to do is, like, <laughs> be meta about its own, like, existence as a television show. Although, so like, I, Burn Notice. And I assumed though. you would confirm it for me. So I didn't think about it at all because I knew you would leave it for me. I did. It's so hard to find out what time a television show was on 10 years ago. Yeah. And I imagine that it wasn't in the same time slot for its entire run. So... Yeah, no. I had to, like, I found, like, a, a, an old, a like, review TV of, like, the season premiere that, like, mentioned it in an article. Because there's, like, no way to know. Well, clearly there was a way to know. Exactly. But, I mean, like, I, living in the information age, as we do, I'm always surprised when a piece of information is not just available. I guess the the internet gods didn't feel like what time uh, Burn Notice aired 10 years ago was going to be particularly useful for someone uh, as quickly as it seems like you wanted the information. In the next scene that we are moving on to now, 20 minutes later, Carlos and Michael go on a fake stakeout of um, Jack that Michael and co. have arranged. So like Jack, the the, the magician. The, the musician, yeah. Is like, 
<laughs> he's eating lunch or something. And so Carlos and Michael are uh, like staking him out and they're getting Carlos nice and bored. And then once Carlos is like getting frustrated enough that like they've done their job, like they've made it seem exactly as boring as a real stakeout. Michael uh, sets off a series of really subtle signals. Cause like Sam is sitting nearby uh, where Jack is. So Michael puts his sunglasses on the dashboard. Um, then Sam correspondingly like whips his newspaper to like make that, that nice like crack sound for uh, when you're trying to like straighten up a newspaper, which signals to Jack to call a phone number and read off of a script that they've put like just out of view from Carlos. And Jack does this like fake phone call to allegedly Justino, the dead guy about how like, Oh man, I can't believe you got all the money. I'm going to meet you later at this exact address. And um, then once that call is in place and Carlos hears it and is like, oh, great, we got the information. Uh, Sam calls Fee to get the let out and get Justino's body in position. I really like this sequence because once again, it was just a very expositional, like, how are they going to get Carlos to the place to see the dead guy and then shoot him <laughs> again? So he thinks he kills him at that moment and not three days ago. Uh, and it was just like this very like spy-esque session of like just tiny little movements that kind of coordinate in like a um, Rube Goldman machine of a setup. I don't know. It was very elegant, very simple. They didn't call a lot of attention to it. It was just like bing, bang, boom, and we're done and we're out of it. And I like that a lot. Uh, so I then it was fine. we have. <laughs> you weren't paying attention, so I no longer. No, care I about like. Your opinion. I saw all of this, and I'm like, yeah, that's spy stuff. That's definitely yeah, but it spy was, stuff. It was nice spy stuff. It was just like a nice coordination effort where usually it's like spy stuff is like something that we kind of just have to assume that they know how to do. Like a lot of the spy stuff on this show, like they explain to us and there's usually an element of we just know what we're doing. But this is one of those moments where we actually get to watch the spy stuff like just very simply be executed in the real world. And I thought that it was nice. Because usually it's like you have to you have to go in at night and find this particular screw and use this part of the wall so that it's thin enough to X, Y, Z. And this time it was just like, no, just have a series of very basic, like non-threatening signals that, you know, one after another gets you to the thing you need. It's more subtle than burn notice usually goes, but in some ways more like smart and more spy crafty. And I liked it. All right. <laughs> I liked it. Okay, Chris. It was fine. Our, uh, our dynamic is back. So then we have this very confusing scene where Fee, and this is the scene that we mentioned earlier that's very confusing. So Fee is cleaning up her neighbor's bathtub and like getting the dead body ready to like weekend at Bernie's. And Larry enters, and at first Fee like holds him at gunpoint and is like, get the fuck out, Larry. I, I don't, I'm not your plaything. Get out of here. And Larry's like, listen, I know dead bodies. I'm just here to help. And she's like, that's fair. That tracks for me. And then they have this very confusing conversation. And he says some weird stuff about he, how he and Fiona aren't so different. And then also says something about like Michael being very hot and cold. And like, isn't it true that like, sometimes you guys like aren't in the place where you thought you were. And it's just like very random. And this seems to like resonate with Fee a lot. And I just, it's very vague. Like what Larry is saying in the scene is very vague and what Fiona specifically is reacting to is also very vague, especially when it's compounded with what we learn in the next scene. So let's move on to that. So uh, there's, we, we cut to a like in between all of this setting up of a dead guy, Michael has time to go to dinner with his family um, at Madeline's house slash the Olive Garden. 
Uh, and Ruth continues to get on Madeline's nerves by being allergic to cucumbers and wanting to stay away from protein. Because, like, they offer her, like, chicken or something. And she's like, I'm trying to yeah. stay away from protein. And I assumed what she was going to say was, oh, I'm trying to stay away from, like, you know, red meat or, like, meat. Like, I'm trying to go vegetarian. But she just says she's staying away from protein, which is not a... Th- you have you have to eat protein to live. Whether it, you're getting it through, like, beans and nuts and legumes or whether you're getting it through meat. It is, like you have to have it is basically just her saying, I'm trying to be more vegetarian in the most obnoxious way possible. But that's also wrong because if you're a vegetarian, oh, yeah, it's you wrong. need protein even more. No, I found it. Yeah. Everything Ruth says is very confusing to me. Ruth is constantly yeah. saying all sorts of nonsense. She is. Anyways, uh, but she's also allergic to cucumbers, and this is important. Um, so then Nate tries to bring up Vegas again uh, when Fiona stops by to drop up. Every some time you cu- say this is important, I go, "Is it?" Well, it's imp- it's important because, like, it just pays off. Like, the reason I keep saying it is because... Exactly, because this... there's a payoff that I missed every time. Yeah, exactly. This this episode has a lot of, like, little payoffs. Like, I think you're probably right that the overall payoff is not, like, amazing. But the scene-level payoffs in this episode were really, really fun. And, I, and so I think that's why I enjoyed it overall so much. Because even if I don't necessarily, like feel that the overarching plot and thing they were trying to do works largely because of a failing of previous episodes, not setting us up for this. I thought that the episode like for itself was good. There was a lot of really fun middle scene things. So anyway, so Ruth is allergic to This is why I was saying that it's the opposite of that last episode. Cause I remember making the exact same argument about that episode. And, and I disagreed with you. I didn't think exactly. that the scene level stuff was good. But I actually watched that episode. So perhaps <laughs> there's a difference. I did in watch how we're this gonna... episode. I'm like playing it up a little bit, but I did watch it. You didn't remember that they they paid off the magician thing in two separate scenes. Because you were like, I wish they brought up the magician thing. Like they do twice. I meant more like he ha- that he would have to do like a... I remember them referencing it. I meant more like... He should have had to do magic. Like, if, you're, if your client is going to be a magician, they should have to do magic in the third act. That's Chekhov. <laughs> the client never gets to do any cool shit. Um, That's not a thing. They, sh- uh, they should, though. He should. Otherwise, I why agree. make him a magician? Yeah, because of the funny runners. Oh, it's like an illusion. Honestly, he should have been a magician for that exact scene. Just that one line, it was worth it for me. Anyways, we have to move on. So Fiona comes over and is like, I can't stay, but I brought over some cucumber salad, which is confusing because it's like, if she can't stay, why is she there and also bringing food? If she's not going to eat anything, why is she bringing food to someone else's house? Also, it's very funny that it's a cucumber salad. Uh, And then Fiona's like, hey, Michael, can I talk to you for a second? And then they talk and... Fiona says that Larry dropped by their body dress up session and she just learned that they worked together for three years. And I guess that's bad because he's bad. Like there's no way she just learned that. Yeah. Yeah. So here's my thing. So these are the things that I'm confused about. One, I feel like Michael has mentioned this before. Two is three years that long. Three. Um, I thought the whole conceit of Larry and the reason that they worked together for so long is because he was less bad back then than he faked his own death because he realized there was like a more fun version of his life that he could be living. I feel like I missed something. The way that I understood this scene was that after the last scene that we saw, Larry told Fee a bunch of bad shit that Michael did while they worked together. But he 
But the only thing she tells Michael is, you worked with him for three years, but he's a bad guy. Yeah, and no, Michael's it's bad. only response it is like, the CIA liked us together. And she's like, I'm not even talking about this. And like, like call Sam if you want help with this mission. And then Also, like, but again, I feel like confusing. this show has forgotten that, like, Fee is a, makes bombs. Fee is a gun runner. Yeah, I know. But she like literally well, in and that's the, where like, I thought opening that's where I thought Larry the, was like, going. opening recap of burn notice like the clip that they show to establish who Fee is as a person is her saying should we shoot them and she does it next episode too she's like uh why are we talking to Gilroy just kill him <laughs> She says yes. in every other episode, Fiona's like, we should kill them. I think exactly. And this is also and why it's this, always if, like if Larry was Lucy Lawless, this wouldn't be a sticking point because we'd just be like, oh, okay, Michael has a type. Yeah, like what is this? Like, but see, here's the thing. That's what I thought Larry was bringing up because he even says in the scene between him and Fiona, like you and I aren't so different. And I was like, oh, you're gonna do the thing where you're both kind of bad guys and maybe a little bit bad influences, and like that's kind of fun, isn't it? Like to you know corrupt the Boy Scout. Like, I thought that's where he was going, but it turns out that meant nothing. And it was just, he was like, by the way, we worked together for three years. Mic drop. What? Okay. No, like, she definitely knows. Yeah. Who does it was she very think confusing. Larry this, is? Exactly. This is the one moment. This is like the, the, the part of the episode that I was least convinced by and almost shook my confidence in the whole thing. Because I'd liked enough of the scene level stuff earlier in the episode, I still overall enjoy this episode. But yeah, that was wild. Like, what the fuck is this scene? And like, I feel like a lot of the episode relies on it. Yeah, well, the, the like the climax certainly does. And yeah, you're right. It absolutely yeah. doesn't work because it, it doesn't make any sense. It feels like they shot those on like a pickup day and they didn't have the script pages ready. And they're just like, uh, I don't know, improvise. And it did not work. Yeah. So if he's like, so if he storms off and is like, if you need help, call Sam. I'm done. Uh, so at the loft, while Sam and Michael set up for one job, Sam reveals that he figured out what Gilroy's after using a pretty cool old school setup. Uh, and he's figured out that the flight that Gilroy wants is one that the government has ordered a wide berth around on a particular day. So it must be a very important flight uh, and must have very important cargo scheduled to go out. Uh, Sam just wants to give Gilroy that one flight information since obviously this is what he's looking for so that the others aren't potentially hurt. Um, and so he, as Sam acts, buddy of Navy SEAL people, doesn't get made. Michael pushes back and is like, you're probably right, but Gilroy asked for six weeks worth of flight plans and I don't want to risk like just giving him this one and him getting mad at me or this not being right. Like I, you know, I'm already out on a limb with him. He already wanted to kill me once and I'm only so cute. Uh, and then Sam's like, well, tough titties, Mike. You get one flight or you get none flight. I am not giving you the rest of this stuff. I'm putting my foot down. Uh, and then he's like, so you know what? Fuck you. Let me know what you say, what you, what you think. Uh, and for this next job, I'm out. Call Fee for help. But, uh-oh, Fiona already told him to call Sam. So now See, Michael is all it, alone. Like, this yeah, one the makes whole sense idea of, me. like, getting Mike Sam's all alone. Sense. Michael all alone. Just, and, like. Larry couldn't it, have planned that. Larry couldn't have planned that. And it, it's not even, like, it wouldn't, Larry wouldn't have to have had planned it. We actually believed that Michael was getting worse. 
Like, if this was, mm-hmm. this kind of or reminds if Michael me. Michael was getting really, like, run down by this job. Because I think yeah, that that's really all re- we needed to do is if Michael was actually having a hard time and, like, it was yeah. showing and, like, he tripped up or something. And he's like, sorry, I'm just, like, I'm really stressed. Exactly. Like, I didn't get like, a lot of sleep last night. Yeah, or just something. This kind of reminds me of season two of Angel. I don't know how how well you remember season two of Angel. So much of season two of Angel is about, like, Angel getting obsessed with, like, Darla. And then... Oh, yeah. Well, that's why I didn't like the back half of season three and any of season four. Yeah. But the point is that, like, in that season, Angel gets, like, obsessed with Darla. And he starts doing really, like, crappy shit because of that. And then, like... All of his friends just are like, we're not doing this anymore. And that takes place over several episodes. And it kind of escalates in a realistic way. And like, but and it feels like this episode is trying to do that, but in one episode and kind of sloppily. I don't think they're trying to do that. <laughs> I, I think that they didn't. I don't think it's that deep, unfortunately. I don't think they thought about it that much. But I see what you're saying. Um, had they done no, that, because that's what they, maybe that's it worked. the whole thing of Larry. That's what they tried to do last time. That is Larry. The whole point about Larry is you bring on Larry and then make it seem like maybe Michael Weston could be bad. Right, but, like, the, but the problem that is, is, is that the, the show isn't interested in actually. Sh- but the but the show isn't interested in seeing Michael like actually do anything. It's just no, Michael, I know exactly. That's why it doesn't work. Well, yes, no, I 100% agree. But I also think that they, they would never let him <laughs> exactly. eat, like, but, like, do one or two You don't get things. to do this plot line. You don't get to well, have I'm... Larry. <laughs> you don't get to you have haven't... Larry if you're not going to use Larry right. <laughs> uh, I, my, my point was that um, I think that it could have also worked if Larry was picking up on the other stuff that was going on. And we believed that even in just this one instance, that Michael could see the benefit of taking the easy way out. That's, that's my only argument is that I think that there are two ways that this could have worked and they went with neither of them. But anyways, down at the docks, Carlos and Michael scope out Justino, who is weakened at Bernie's style, wearing sunglasses, sitting in a car uh, where allegedly the money is in the back. And at first, Carlos like, great, I'm going to go torture him. I'm going to take all his fingers off and he's going to tell me exactly what he did. And Michael's like, uh, no, he probably has backup or something. You should shoot him from here. Uh, and so then Michael goes to shoot him and then Carlos is like, well, if we're just going to shoot him, then I want to do it. And Michael's like, fine. So he like lits the fucking car up uh it gets lit and so if justina wasn't dead before he's definitely dead now and uh, carlos finds all of his money in the trunk and all is well until it turns out that all of the money in the trunk that larry and michael had placed there for him to find and for it to be all good is fake larry used counterfeit money and kept the real money for himself and now michael's in an even worse position because michael's just convinced this guy to like turn on his own man and he finally got himself out of that scrape when it turns out larry's fucked him again and he doesn't have any backup but michael's like listen i'm sure he was just trying to like set up jack i don't know what's happening but i'll find you the real money i swear and carlos is like you fucking better or i will kill you Michael then leaves voicemails for both of his friends, but neither of them are picking up. He is truly alone and has got to figure out what to do. I will say the isolation of Michael Weston is an interesting thing. If it had been done better, I think it would have been a really fun thing to explore. Yeah, but if it, was it had not. been done like well, 
It could have been cool. Like a lot of the elements of this and many other episodes of Burnos, frankly, are very cool ideas, but they don't, it's like you're giving five-year-olds uh, like a game for 10-year-olds and it's like, yeah. they're just not mature enough. Like the, the things are <laughs> all there. Right. <laughs> they're not mature enough to handle all of the things they're trying to do. Larry meets Michael outside of the loft to pitch him one more time. He'll give Michael half the real money if they can finish this his way, saying that Michael's at a fork in the road and that all Larry wants is to work with him to get him a new identity and to go on the road and have good time adventures. Um, I mean, come on, no one else is stepping up to bail you out, right? Uh, of all the mess that Larry specifically made for this reason. Uh, Michael says he'll go kill Carlos if Larry takes care of the rest, which seems dangerous since Larry also wants to kill Jack, who, if you'll remember, is technically the client of the week. So, but, but I guess magician, they just forgotten so about him. Jack. Like, Jack is not mentioned once until the very end of the episode when they, like, send him off. But, like, Larry doesn't mention Jack at this point. So I guess Jack is no longer in danger, at least from Larry. Their only yeah, final was, thing to do we is see to kill Jack Carlos. Again, right? We do. We just see him like it's yeah, like a so very it's short like, scene. It's not like maybe Larry just like kill him. But like in the the last time we saw Jack, Larry was trying to kill him because he knew too much and he wanted to use him and put him in the same like weekend at Bernie's car with Justino. Yeah. But then I guess he convinces him it's fine and like Jack well, is. He got his hand shot, I guess, and he's like, Oh well. <laughs> so he just gives up? whatever so the new plan is they're going to kill carlos and get the fuck out of dodge michael is cleaning his gun in the dark all moody like uh when nate comes over to talk mad that michael isn't picking up his phone uh michael is like what do you mean i'm not picking up my phone i haven't gotten any calls from you and then he realizes that he's been got he like um he, he kind of takes apart his cell phone at his old desk and realizes that Larry switched out his SIM card to isolate him and make him think that no one is calling him and no one is picking up his calls. Uh, and prior to this, he'd been using like call forwarding. So Michael thought that his phone was being useful, but slowly but surely he was taking away like points of contact for Michael until Michael felt like really alone, which is cool. Had it been used interestingly and probably yeah. earlier in an episode. But the exactly. concept if is Larry, very cool. like seemed like the sort of like chaotic joker like mastermind mm-hmm. that he could pull this kind of thing off again as opposed to just like this a midlife kind crisis of pathetic midlife crisis do you think man. it's his it's it, do you think his age is what you're really not his age with? i don't think it's like his age because like i could see a character like i think it's his like it's his age coupled with like like I mean, again, I encountered this person first playing a vice president, and I think that's a perfect casting for him. He needs to play a politician or a pastor or a, like, authority figure. Yeah, he, he doesn't have the, he's, the, the right chaos he's energy. He's a dad. He has a dad vibe. <laughs> he's not, like, batshit crazy. Like, and so when you try to play him as, like, batshit crazy it just seems like sad and like it doesn't fit i see where you're coming from i I, again i don't think i fully agree but i i'm i'm hearing what you're saying and i i don't fully disagree either so let's finish out this episode we've been talking for so long 
So the next morning, after Michael has figured all this stuff out, Michael heads to meet Larry with a particularly violent plan to get rid of Carlos. They don't just shoot Carlos, they take out his whole building. And if it looks enough like a car bomb, the police will just think it was a rival gang and they'll be free and clear. Larry is finally like, but wait, aren't you good? And Michael's like, no, I am. So we got to push the job to like later today, but uh, I'm going to use that time to get the rest of the tenants out of the building. And Larry's like, all right, gotcha. Great. Good plan. I'll see you at three. Um, I so do like this a lot. La- I yeah, I thought that that's was a great. clever lie. Mm-hmm. I do too. The, re- the, the execution of how the episode ends saves a lot of it for me. The re like the honestly, the Michael being isolated from his friends thing didn't need to happen for this to work. Honestly, the episode could have been more interesting without it because w- then we wouldn't have had that weird like sideline thing because it lasts like half a scene where Michael is truly isolated. Like pretty much the rest of the episode could have gone down the exact same way that it did without the isolation thing because immediately of, of course Sam and Fee are like back on board as soon yeah. as like Larry leaves this scene. Like, um, all of Sam's stuff is about it. I mean I can buy yeah. that like Sam is kind of pissed and like there could have been another thing that Fiona was pissed but I don't think Larry needed to have done the SIM card thing. I don't think it adds anything. No. Like no, it, it really doesn't like the, everything else could have played out in a totally like different way and still come to the same conclusion and it would have been fine. Uh, and it would have been less confusing and caused us less strife to discuss it. So anyway, I but I really do like I the way that this possibly concludes. definitely paying the most attention during that section. <laughs> well, that's fair. Uh, so Larry heads off and Michael with a fresh SIM card calls Sam who is on the beach wearing a Marlin print shirt and holding a fishing pole, which I really enjoyed. Just the whole aesthetic. Like, he not only is going fishing, but he has a shirt with fish on it to go fishing. Love that for him. Love that energy. Michael kind of apologizes, and Sam breaks the case wide open about where Larry is probably hiding the money, and Michael is like, Sam, come over to the loft. We have to celebrate your genius, and we also got to talk. So back at the loft, the old gang is back together, and it turns out Larry hid the money in Michael's home punching bag. So they have all of the real money um, and now have a lot more power in the situation. Then Michael apologizes to both Sam and Fee before moving on with the plan uh, with a genuinely touching moment, in my opinion, where he tells Fee that there is a part of him that's like Larry, but it's just a part and it gets smaller the longer they're together. And then he he like genuinely apologizes to both of them because I, I thought that it was going to be another fucking burn notice thing where they just like don't apologize to each other because like his apology quote-unquote to sam in the earlier scene on the phone was just like sam have i apologized to you and um sam's like no and michael's like okay i need your help and so i was like god damn it michael weston is this gonna be your apology again but it turns out no he actually genuinely sits them down is like i have to apologize to you guys and like talks about how he's been selfish and destructive and blah 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 and i was like damn michael weston that's a real apology I'm so proud was, of you. But he wasn't that selfish or destructive in the episode. Yeah, no, exactly. It, he didn't need to apologize that way. But honestly, if you're going to apologize, do it like that. Well done, Michael Weston. Yeah. Um, and I did think that his little moment with Fee was nice, even though I don't the believe moment it with for a second. moment with Fee is nice. But again, I just like, I don't, the Larry bit doesn't make it work. Like, again, yeah, exactly. there no, does I, not I seem it. to be any Larry in him. Yeah, I know. No, it's As true. much it's as Larry really wants isn't. it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so... We cut to uh, Michael and Larry planting a bomb in Carlos's car, and as they walk away victorious, Michael reveals it's actually a setup. 
Carlos already has the real money, and the bomb in the dumpster nearby will tell the tale of Carlos being the one who stole the money from his boss, double setup. Uh, and that Larry Garber, Larry's new identity that he was all proud of at the beginning of the episode, is the one who called the police in on the tip. And the police are coming there right now. Triple fucking setup. I'm actually genuinely impressed because the way that it all kind of like plays out, it's very, man, I wish you'd seen Leverage. I don't wish you'd seen Leverage because you would hate this show if you watch Leverage. But it's a very Leverage style scene where it's like they lay out all the levels of con mannery that they've gone up to that episode. Um, but it was very much just like a very neat setup. And it forces uh, Larry's hands to not just like run away. Like he now has to be on the record or he has to give up his identity and all the money that he's accrued with that identity. Uh, so Michael has like truly put him, you know, to make a decision between like what is important to him. Uh, so he has to choose between his new identity and bank accounts or getting revenge on Michael. And of course, Larry chooses the money because it turns out Michael knows him pretty well too. And I thought it was just like a really nice, neat little setup scene uh, and everything made sense. And it was just like they covered all of their bases. It was a very neat scene. You, you know me. I love Burn Notice episodes. I love episodes of television in general that are like very like tight and like orderly and they make sense. And like if they're yeah. not sloppy and on a scene level, this episode was not sloppy on a macro level. It was very sloppy. And it was it's I, I get that that's a weird struggle. But on the scene level, no, but it like is. each and I, individual I do, scene was like, really fun like how the tightness of it and it's especially since we have sometimes given O'Neill and Tracy like shit in the past for being sloppy on the details. Yeah. They're, they're fun, but sloppy, but this was fun and tight except yeah. for the macro. Except, yeah. I don't think the macro stuff works. I don't even know how much fault it is. Like Jason Tracy is just yeah. like Larry. I mean like some of it's like on a script level, but also just like Larry is a character not working. But like, because mm-hmm. like I think yeah. they're all making a lot of assumptions about who Larry is that <laughs> we have decided are not true, and so a lot of the things that I think even Jason Tracy is coming into this episode assuming that we agree with, we don't agree with. Like we're not yeah. all starting from the same place. Anyways, okay. so now we we have like a two second send off scene with Jack, who now has to go by his actual last name, not Fleetwood, and get out of town. Michael cheerfully threatens his life if he ever comes back to Miami, and then the scene is over. It yeah, that was does funny. not make it, it was funny, but also it's like, why are you threatening this poor man? <laughs> he's done nothing wrong. Cause he's a he's magician. Just... So fuck him. Fair enough. He's annoying. <laughs> Back at Madeline's house, uh, Nate and Ruth are off and Michael and Madeline have a nice little moment where Madeline's like, I'm not going to Las Vegas. Obviously my home is here with you and Sam and Fiona. Also Ruth sucks ass, which I'm only barely paraphrasing. But I just yeah. like that, that Madeline was like, no, Michael, I'm part of the main cast. <laughs> I got to stay here. I think it's really sweet. It is really sweet. It's like, like, she's like, no, she I'm thinks part her of your place crew. is with them. I know. And it's not just with Michael. It's like, like, this is her with whole Michael family. Like, Sam, Sam is her Fiona. best, Sam, Sam is her best friend. Fiona and Michael are something. And she does really yeah. like Fiona and Michael. Fiona is her daughter-in-law. Exactly. Like this is this is as much her family as Nate and his stupid new wife are. And all of Michael's friends don't annoy her, even though they put her in danger constantly. And yeah, that was yeah. that was really sweet. And it's once it again sweet. like one and of it's those like, fuck scenes. Nate and his family. I know, right? <laughs> fuck Nate in general and anyone who likes Nate. How does it feel to be Nate though? And know well, that like mo- mom likes you. like your brother and like his weird friends so much that she would rather 
constantly be in danger than live near you and your new wife. I think maybe it would force some self-reflection on how much you absolutely suck. But it, of course, the it thing doesn't. is that Nate doesn't even suck anymore. I mean, he kind of does, though. He got married to somebody that he met a month ago. But like, they it's seem hard to be happy. Do they? It's been two days. That's true. Also, when they drive I mean, off, I don't she know. does. Th- his wife does not look happy. Well, yeah, because she doesn't like Madeline. She seems <laughs> to fair. like Nate. Again, we see them in like barely a scene and a half together, and they almost never interact with one another. It's usually Nate interacting with one of his family members, and then Madeline and Ruth interacting. Like, I don't know. The episode ends, and they're still like together. So I figured, oh, we're supposed to just read them as being happy. I don't actually, since we talked about this in one of the more recent episodes, but like you and I are fully like don't remember what's happening next. So I don't remember if like this is a end game for Nate. I suspect it's not. So that's also why I'm like, Nate's a dumbass. I'm sure that he'll fuck this up somehow and it will come back around to him being a dumbass. But like also Anyways. he hasn't done any other than like, again... And, like, a quick marriage is, like, unfor- like probably not the It speaks to a pattern of thing. careless behavior. But, like, he hasn't done a lot of careless shit in a while. He had, like, a job. He had a company. And, like, he seems now that he's more just kind of, like, because he used to yeah, be but kind his of company, a scumbag. His, his mom and took out a second mortgage on his company. And now he's more stupid. I mean, but I, that still isn't a person I want to hang out with. Just because you're, like, not actively, like, defrauding me doesn't mean that I want to hang out with you. I mean, I don't, no, I don't want to hang out with Nate. And so, Well, that's what I'm saying. It's like, if your mom would rather be in danger than be near you and your wife, like, maybe there's something deeper at work than, like, you're, you make but bad But I also think there's decisions. nothing like, you at might this just point. Suck. There's, like, at nothing wrong with Nate, other than he's kind of like dumb and easy to trick whatever i don't care about nate enough to have this conversation Uh, i just wanted to make another note that like once again a just very brief simple closing scene between michael and madeline just delivers some really genuinely nice moments i love when they're in scenes together and when they're having like open heart to hearts because it both of them are at their best in terms of performance when they're together and I just like it. I just think that every scene with them is really, really fun. And I'm glad that we're seeing more of those where it's human to human and not like, ugh, my mom's being annoying again. Yeah. And they've like let Madeline become a person and mm-hmm. not like be this really sort of confusing bad person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, this has been a really good Madeline season. And I think that it's elevated a lot of other things because like the problems with Madeline's character early on kind of were indicative of, of a lot of the problems with the show in that like things weren't complex. They were just sort of cartoonish and caricature-ish. And now that they've Mm -hmm. fixed Madeline, it feels like a lot of other things are kind of falling into place. It's still not like an overall good show, like listen, but I think that it's a far more consistent show and one that's a lot more enjoyable to watch overall yes. as a result. So I'm really enjoying that. Anyway, so the final scene of this episode before we uh, get out of the weeds is that Michael heads to a meeting with Gilroy uh, with just the single flight that Sam discovered, which is 
kind of a gamble, um, but it does in fact pay off. Michael asks him what's on the flight. Gilroy lies that it's like a contagion and an antidote, which I was like, at first I, you know, cause I didn't know that he was lying until a little, a little bit later, but I was like, fuck, are we going to have yeah, like no, a bioweapon virus? I the same thought. <laughs> we live in an apocalypse. Um, but Michael does know that he's lying. And so he and Sam, um, talk about like he, he meets up with Sam afterwards and is like, he's definitely lying to me. So we're kind of back to square one. And then he's like, Hey Sam, I could use some help with this. And my, and Sam's like, I got you buddy. And it's like, even though uh, like the isolation thing in this episode didn't super work, I bought why Sam was frustrated. I bought why Michael was holding his ground. And I think that it's cute that they end the episode on like good terms and like kind of are making light of like, Hey buddy, I'm going to need your help again. And he's like, yeah, buddy, I got you. Buds I mean, like, Sam was the one that I bought the most. I didn't super buy it, but, like, I most... I bought it because I I think the line that I think sold it for me was him saying, remember, Chuck Finley didn't get these documents. Sam Axe did. Yeah. Because, like, he rarely talks no, about like, Chuck Finley. I understand it. I, I understand it. And I, I think that I, I thought that it worked and, and I bought why Michael was being resistant. Cause sometimes when like characters on the show argue, it's like, this person is obviously wrong and isn't saying the one thing that like clearly makes a difference. Cause from Michael's perspective, it's like, he asked me for a very specific thing that you're telling me not to deliver to him. He asked me a very specific thing last time that I did not deliver to him. And he has admitted to my face that he wanted to kill me for it and considered it a lot, but he's giving me a second chance. I Maybe that's it. I also kind of g- didn't buy Michael's side as much. But yeah, that's true. Like, he, he has a lot, uh, you know, riding on this. Like, it is a gamble. Like, this guy is a psychopath. And he has decided, like, he is going to figure out what this guy is up to. And he needs to play along for a little bit. And <laughs> he tried not playing ball last time. And it, you know, is potentially dangerous for him. But yeah, I thought it was God, good. We have like been it. recording forever. I literally I cannot am. tell time anymore. Anyways, you want to talk about some spy tips? Let's talk about some spy tips. Number one, preserving a corpse is not a frequent job requirement for a spy, but if you must, stashing a body is a lot like soaring high explosives. Air, water, and heat are the enemy. Good to know. Kind of a twofer. I now know how to store high explosives and corpses. Number two, sometimes the least secure parts of a security system are the security cameras themselves. If leaves obstruct the lens because the landscaping hasn't been maintained, you can approach from a blind spot. And if you get close enough, borrowing the video feed is as easy as stealing pay-per-view. I like this one too. Yeah. I, I thought it was it. nice. And yeah. they made the point like cartels probably aren't keeping up with the landscaping. Yeah. Uh, number three, the key to surviving a fall into shallow water is safely displacing your body's mass. A flat surface floating on top can help absorb and distribute your, your weight evenly. Miss the target and you may as well be jumping right onto the concrete. So that's the mattress tip. Yeah. I mean, if I have to jump 10 stories into a pool, I'll throw, I'll probably try to do this, but also I will die. I don't know if I'm I calling you it could now. get the map. I don't think you could get the mattress over into the pool. Like the first step, I don't think you could do. I mean, yes, I'm, I'm assuming someone's helping me. <laughs> You're assuming Michael Weston tore the mattress. I'm off assuming Michael like, Weston Chris, I'm assuming that I'm a magician. Right, of course. And, and that you're and you're sleeping with the the manager of the hotel, and so she's exactly. You stay there. And so 
I get that. Gets... <laughs> I forgot about that detail. <laughs> the little things. Anyways, oh good God. tip. Good tip, Jason. Number four, orchestrating a fake sighting isn't a job that calls for subtlety. It's not enough to dress an imposter in the right clothes. You need to make grand gestures and attract attention to colorful details. Do it right, and eyewitnesses will be lining up to swear they saw a dead man buying drinks. I don't know about this one, but... I I, It's like borderline, but it's like a good strategy. I'll keep it. Sure. Yeah. Number five. Every class of criminals has their own set of fears. Usually the boogeyman lives in the mirror. I really like that line. I thought that was a good line. Thieves triple lock their door, embezzlers check their bank accounts obsessively, and cartel soldiers get the hell out of any car that won't start right away. No, that's a good tip, too. Number six, the key to fake surveillance is delivering real boredom. If someone suffers for the information you're feeding them, they're more likely to believe it. This is the closest to not being a tip for me. I could go either way. Well, so they haven't really done fake surveillance before, or at least it's been a while since I remember it. Um, And I like that they make the point of like, if they're going to do a fake surveillance trip with someone, they can't just like immediately give him the information. Like they actually have to make this guy feel like he's on a stakeout. And we've seen enough stakeouts on Burn Notice that are really boring and that Fee has complained about before that like it feels real to me. And it was a nice little just like nod to. I I think we've never had quite this tip. We've had Mm -hmm. tips about how stakeouts are boring. And we've yes. had tips about you have to make bad guys work for info. Mm-hmm. We've never had quite both of them. It's like a Venn diagram tip. tip. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm fine if we go because like we've already got five. So like, we, it this, already this has enough. I could go either way. I okay. Well, let's keep it because it doesn't matter. We'll keep it. Yeah. It Number seven doesn't matter. Remember when this show used to say like once every two episodes, being a spy is boring. <laughs> I do remember that. <sighs> the good old days. Number seven, turning an asset is a multi-step process. You back them into a corner, you pile on stress, you create tension with the people they trust, and if you can cut them off from good influences so you're the only voice in their ear, they're much more likely to listen. Meh. This is the tip about Larry isolating him. There was like yeah. a little bit at the end of that I cut off that was irrelevant. Because it's about like, and it happened to me. Mm-hmm, exactly. You won't believe what Michael Weston did. Um, so I, I like this because it's another one of those like psychological shopping list tips. Because like we, we've talked True. about like shopping list tips of like this kind of gun does this thing. Uh, and this is one of those tips. It's like that, but for psycho like for psychology reasons, like we, we allowed a bad breaks tip, which was just like a series of advice for bank robbing. <laughs> like these are the four things you need to do when you're robbing a bank. Um, and I feel like it's that, but for turning an asset. And it's more specific than we've gotten before. That's true. I can take it. I can dig it too. All right. Hell yeah. So how do we rate this episode? Well, there were at least seven practical spy tips. Um, There were definitely five, perhaps even seven. uh, If you agree Mm -hmm. with us about the last two. Um, I would say that there was definitely spycraft over violence. And that was almost like the thesis of the episode is that you should use spycraft over violence. True. So that definitely did it. Uh, no alias. He's just himself. Uh-huh. Just like a version of himself. So I don't, there's no alias, unfortunately. No. Uh, were Fee and Sam used well? This is going to be the turning point for this episode. Yeah. I don't know. I like, I legit don't know. Because like, I do like the idea of it. Mm-hmm. I really, 
Like I do yeah, think all the that stuff execution... that we don't like about this episode isn't because we don't like those elements. It's that we don't think they did them right. We don't think they did them right. And I guess the question is, how much points do we give them for the idea, and how much points do we give them for the execution? I think, so, like again, I think the Sam stuff worked better. Yeah, and I I like the Sam stuff. Like I even liked like the way that he figured out what flight plan Gilroy was doing was like go back to kind of like his roots. Uh, which is also what Michael had called on him to do to get the flight plans in the first place. Like him going retro and they had the little like Xerox display where he showed Michael how he figured out like what the plane was that Gilroy wanted. I thought that was cool. Uh, I liked him calling out Chuck Finley as an like identifiable entity. (laughs) Like Chuck Finley is a person. It's also like, yeah, I think they had good character drama or at least they had character drama. Is that different from, like, generally when we talk about them being used well? And it usually means, are they being used in a way that's fun? That's true. I mean, was it peak Bruce Campbell? Well, here's here's my argument for peak Bruce Campbell. He's wearing a shirt with a marlin pattern on it while sh- fishing and having a, f- a floppy fishing hat on. That did happen. It did happen. It was a very big Marlin print, and I liked it a lot. Um, I can maybe I can see giving Sam. I'm less sure about Fee. Yeah, what does Fee do on a scene level? I mean, Fiona has that scene where she's like wearing lingerie, and then the boys walk in, and she's like, "God damn it, Michael! <laughs> stop bringing fine. other, stop bringing other boys into my house." Uh, oh, and then she has the scene where she's eating popcorn and, like, talking about the security footage like it's a soap opera. I really like that scene. I, that was very Fiona. I thought both of those scenes were, like, fine, low-key jokes, but I didn't like them as much as you did. Like, I didn't think, like, that either of those things were, like, as funny as you did. I really liked it. And then and her being like, oh, Pendeo, it's like an uh, idiot, but ruder. Like, that was She's fun. the I one like that, that starts that joke. Um... I don't know. Yeah, she didn't get to blow anything up this week. Like, I'm, I'm, I'll admit that Fee was used definitely worse than Bruce Campbell, but I would say, on the whole, I thought interesting things were done, and I liked the Sam arc. I don't know if it totally worked, but I thought enough of it I'm willing to give the Sam part. Okay. So, that's a 2.5, but we always consider if one is used well, then the the fourth tenant is passed. So, this... We this round is up. technically uh, a great episode of Burn Notice. Was this a great episode of television? Now we're talking about it. So I don't think it is. Um, and I don't okay, know cool. if I would have even said that it was prior to discussing this. I, I certainly didn't expect you to dislike it as much as you did. Uh, I do also suspect that some of that comes from you not paying attention very well. Um, I mean, because there was I a, like... There was, was a lot of little details that it seems like banks. you missed. But like yeah, yeah and, I, and the big things like, were the I missed a lot stuff. of little things. Yeah. But like and I I am like really I was leaning into it a little bit <laughs> as a bit. But I did yeah, I think I did miss a lot of little runners. But I will say a lot of the jokes that I did catch you thought were funnier than I did. I was also reacting to it like on a a whole cuz like there was a lot of those and they kind of stuck they stacked up for me. Yeah. But yeah, no, um, I'm not, I'm not going to, this is an episode of television. I'm not like, because the, like the problem is like, if this wasn't a, like trying to do like set up dramatic beats, 
it would have been a fine like episode of a comedy you know if it was if this was like a wackier show i think it would have worked the problem is is that like i don't think that it can work as an overall episode of television like a great episode of television if the macro storyline that it's exploring doesn't connect and it just doesn't there's right. there, there are enough beats that aren't there even like taking it outside of the canon of burden on us even if we evaluate it as its own episode and like this is the first time we've seen larry it doesn't work like there's just there's enough that doesn't work about it that i i cannot in good conscience argue with you i think it's a better episode of television than a lot of episodes that we've watched um and it, it is one of my favorites of the season i would say um outside of like obviously the great episodes because there have been yeah. three so far great episodes of television um two written by craig o'neill in fact well yeah, done. solo Craig o solo Craig O'Neill has written two great episodes of Burn Notice. So once again, old Jason Tracy on his own, not a great episode of television, but a competent and fun episode of television that I enjoyed a lot. So thank you, Jason. And with Tracy, a lot of neat little details, like you. There like and I and I love me some neat little details, especially when they're silly. All right. All right. Well. With that, uh, I guess there's nothing left to do but thank Vincent E.L. once again for our wonderful theme music. If you want to find more of Vince's music, head to vincentel.bandcamp.com. And until next week, bye. Just like anyone else is Larry. <laughs>